just for this week because John's not here tonight. So anyway, good to see you all tonight. And uh, you know, it's an interesting day. I'm sure you follow the news at all. Interesting day. Couldn't help but think about what Christ says in Matthew 18, where he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Uh, interesting words from Christ. He says, you know, it's not what my servants are all about. And then I was thinking also about uh, in First Timothy where it says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So uh, we pray for these people. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs the Lord. And you think about it in the flesh terms, it's easy to see people in another vein. But uh, really, we need to see them kind of through the, the mission lens. So I'm glad you're here. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into our study. We are on chapter 19 tonight, uh, the Christian home here. So let's uh, pray. Lord, we do thank you for uh, who you are. Uh, you are the one who rules in the kingdom of men. Uh, Tell us you set up over at the, the lowest of men. Uh, Lord, you've got your sovereign purposes and in all that goes on. And so we, we thank you that ultimately the kingdom is yours. It won't be brought in by uh, human means, but uh, by your sovereign means. And so we rest in the, in the wonderful hope and truth of who you are. We do pray in the meantime, as uh, we are told to pray for those in authority, that we might continue to lead a, a quiet and peaceable life. And so we pray to that end. We pray for things to, to quiet down as far as the, the ongoing uh, conflicts of the day. And uh, we pray that the, the witness of true Christians would, would be about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what really is bigger than uh, the issues of, of this life according to the world. And so, Lord, again, we do thank you for prayer, and uh, we lift it up tonight to uh, pray for our nation, pray for uh, continued peace and, and tranquility, and uh, pray for many to come to know Christ. That's the ultimate need here. So, Lord, we uh, thank you for each one that's here tonight. Bless our study as we consider the subject of the Christian home tonight. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, if I was to ask you what is life all about, your answer would be? Ah, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Anybody else got a better answer than that? <laughs> no. I'm really looking for the word relationships. And relationship with God would be the ultimate issue, right? What would fall in line after that, do you suppose? Ah, family relationships. I think that's true. Uh, family relationships, how important they are. And uh, as ordained by God, we go back to Genesis. We have the... The, the husband and the wife relationship, it's not good for the man to be alone. This isn't n normally. I mean, obviously, there are gift of singleness and et cetera, et cetera, life uh, situations, but uh, normally. And uh, normally from there, you have children, be fruitful and multiply. And then you have extended family. And then you have the family of God, right? All related to this whole issue of family. But as we think about the uh, family unit, the, the core family unit, I really think it is the building block of society. Uh, and uh, we talk about spiritual warfare, and uh, I really think right on the front line in this whole spiritual warfare is the family. 
And the devil's doing everything in his power to undermine the family. And he's been pretty effective. He's been working this spiritual war for a long time. And I often say, so goes the family, so goes the church, and so goes the church, so goes the nation. How's it going? Uh, we got lots of issues out here. And I think it, it starts with the family. Nothing more critical than the spiritual health of the family. Well, let's begin. Uh, note my first, uh, under the heading there, under the Christian home. Family is the very first institution created by God consisting at core of a male husband and a female wife. Kind of strange you have to qualify that in today's world. Uh, a male husband and a female wife. Uh, it is the building block of human society, as they say. For this reason, Satan attacks it relentlessly, seeking to destroy what God has ordained. So first question. 2 Timothy 3.3 says, In the last days people will be unloving, meaning, literally meaning, without natural affection. What ramifications does this have for the family? Yeah, and what might be an example of uh, without natural affection? Unloving, without natural affection. What would be an example, maybe? Boy, that's a, a great example. I mean, when a mother can actually, you know, abort, murder the baby living inside of her, that's, that's not natural, uh, for sure. Anything else? Yeah, I, I think you go to Romans 1. This, this is not normal. This is not natural. And yet they want to promote it as such. They want it to be accepted as natural. And so, yeah, all of these things, uh, yeah? I was going to say, even marriage between a man and wife, that there's a lot of it that's not about love. It's not, yeah. It's more about uh, lust or power or yeah. wealth or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not healthy. Not a healthy, loving relationship. Yeah, yeah, good. Good. So lots of uh, examples here that we've kind of thrown about here. And I think it does cause the breakdown of the family as God has ordained it in the scriptures. And, uh, you know, Christ said every kingdom, city or house divided against itself cannot stand. And so uh, obviously Satan wants to get in there uh, through whatever means. I mean, who would have thought we'd come to a day and age where you could say, you know what, I, I am a man, but I have decided I'm going to be a woman. Uh, I mean, you talk about unnatural. I mean, this takes it to almost to a whole new level. But uh, a lot of unnatural uh, affections and thinking out here in our world today, for sure. And, yeah. That's not really that crazy. To me, what's crazy is people are accepting it. Well, it's... It's all crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go right along with it, which is it's amazing. You're right. That, that's absolutely. And. Yeah, well, I think we've gotten further and further from God, and uh, where does depravity take you? I mean, it takes you to insane places that, uh, I mean, you know, next you think, well, bestiality, pedophilia, you know, I mean, uh, where does it end as far as what society will accept here? Probably no bounds here, really, as you go along. It, it's, uh, it gets unnatural to the point where it's 
It's unbelievable uh, the, to even think about these things. I mean, we're seeing things in my life that, you know, back when I was a kid, nobody ever thought we'd see these things, especially in legal code in our country. And now you've got people with, you know, nice robes that are approving of this and saying this is now the law of the land. So craziness. All right. Well, uh, again, Second uh, Timothy 3, 3 says in the last days. Uh, I, I wonder, do you think we're living in the last days yet? Yeah, I think so. I think we're there. We're seeing it. Okay. Um, and with that theme here, <coughs> uh, next question. What will characterize children in the last days as seen in 2 Timothy 3, 2? Disobedient to parents. Right. Disobedient to parents. Um, no regard for authority. Boy, see that everywhere. Um, I think it starts kind of with a generation that's like, well, it's, it's bad to discipline your children. You know, you can't really biblically discipline them. Wouldn't want to do that because that would be harmful. Uh, you know, we got superior wisdom to the Bible. So we, kids begin to get away with anything and everything, have no regard for authority in the home. And what's that lead to? Major problems. And as you have the breakdown of the family and there's, there's no dad figure even in the home, what, what happens? Gangs, right? They're looking for something where they can connect and belong. Well, it's a poor substitute for the the family as God has ordained it in the scriptures. So uh, I really think this whole issue of uh, no regard for authority does begin in the home. If kids don't learn about authority in the home, probably going to have a mega problem as they go through life here with every other authority that God has ordained. So, and I think we see that. See that in our society today. Uh, it's a sad picture. Again, last days. Last days madness related to natural, uh, the, last, uh, the lack of natural affection, uh, disobedient to parents. Um, next question. How do unsaved people typically carry on as brought out in Titus 3.3? How do they carry on? Yeah. Boy, that, that's... Uh, hateful and hating one another. Um, it's really strong emphasis there at the, at the end of the sentence. He mentions other things there too. Um, you know, given over to uh, uh, lust and malice and envy. Malice, you know, is when you wish people were dead. You, you wish bad on them. You wish harm would come to them. That's, that's malice. Uh, envy is all about me. You know, I'm, I don't care about you. I just care about me and what I, what I want, what I have. Um, well, how does that affect uh, family dynamics? Well, it can't be good, right? You got that kind of uh, stuff going on in people's hearts and lives. It's it's very unhealthy as far as the family. And by the way, he says there in Titus three three, uh, for we also ourselves once were, uh, we were this way, you know. But for the grace of God, you know, I know I'm a, such a likable, lovely, wonderful guy at this point in life, but. Really, my flesh can be pretty ugly. I still know that. So anyway, uh, praise, God, praise the Lord for his grace there, that's for sure. But typically, that's how people carry on. Hateful and hating one another. I mean, see that out here in the world. I wonder if we have a little bit of hatred going on here, and even the clashes going on in the day here. I mean, uh, it's, it's tough. Okay, <clears throat> any other thoughts there? Anything else? All right, let's press. Uh, There, uh, the next heading, uh, marriage and family ordained by God. 
As ordained by God, what relationship constitutes marriage as seen in Genesis 2.24? Yeah. Man should be joined to his, to his wife. And, of course, you have Adam and Eve there ordained as the pattern, ordained by God as, as the way it should be. And, of course, affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament, also the other New Testament writers. But, uh, and I, I think that's important here. We're going back to the Genesis foundation. You know, everything builds on that foundation that we have in Genesis, and, and marriage is, is part of that, that foundation for uh, the structure and, uh, of society as, as God has ordained it going forward. Okay, uh, no reason, uh, no wonder the devil goes after it. I mean, this is ordained by God as a major building uh, block as you go along in history here. Okay, uh, any thoughts before we turn the page? Okay, let's go to the next page here. First question, uh, page 131. What did Jesus indicate about marriage in Matthew 19, 4 through 6? What did Jesus indicate about marriage here? Very good. So male and female brings out very clearly here. You know, there's certain, uh, even though it's the law of the land, there's certain types of marriage that we do not recognize, right? And so, uh, you know, I've been in discussions here as far as uh, what constitutes marriage these days. Uh, you know, uh, you have common law marriage, right? You don't have to get any certificate anywhere. You just live together for a while and you're married, right? Is that a biblical marriage? Well, the question becomes, what constitutes a biblical marriage? I mean, there's a difference, right? Because, I mean, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, you know what he said to her, right? You've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. Well, what's the difference between the five and this guy? Ah, what kind of a commitment? And what do we call that? Ah, I'm looking for another word. That's right. What? Covenant. covenant. A, the, I'm sorry. A covenant commitment. Yeah. You know, in Malachi, he says, she is your wife by covenant. You know what a covenant does? Brings God into the equation. We are making an oath before God to be faithful to this person for the rest of our life. So you can sit there and say, well, you know, <laughs> we haven't gotten any papers or anything. And, uh, you know, <laughs> haven't made any commitments publicly or, uh, you know, in front of any witnesses. Or anything, but we're all married. Well, I think a covenant relationship is one that you make on the record before God and witnesses. That's, that's a covenant relationship. That's what, that's what marriage is. And when you do that, he, he says, what God has joined together. Let no one separate. There, there, is a, there is an amazing miracle, spiritually speaking, that God does as he joins them uh, spiritually together. And, of course, then there's a physical consummation too. But God joins people together. There is a spiritual reality that goes on when you have a covenant marriage that takes place. Well, that's a pretty big deal before God, as we see in the Scriptures. What does uh, Hebrews 13.4 say about marriage? Yeah, it's honorable. And what else? Undefiled. What is? The marriage, bed. the marriage bed is undefiled. 
That's right. And you know, marriage is about the bed. It's not only about the bed, but it involves the bed. There is a consummation that goes on there uh, as far as sexually, as we see that back in, in Genesis. But uh, marriage is honorable before God and the bed undefiled. But he says, in contrast to that, who's God going to judge? Sexually immoral people. And uh, New King James says, fornicators and adulterers. We usually think about fornication, uh, you know, sexual immorality outside the the bounds of marriage. Uh, Adultery is unfaithful to the marriage vows. So those that are uh, sexually promiscuous really is the idea. Okay. Um, then, uh, next question here. And by the way, feel free to interject anytime you want to here. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, middle of the page. What does Malachi 2, 13 through 16 state about divorce? God hates divorce. And why does he hate it? He kind of ex- explains why he hates it here in this context. Th- this is where he says, she is your wife by covenant. So anytime you break a covenant, it's a big deal before God. And furthermore, what else does he say? You know, under Jewish law, it was really the, uh, the uh, husband who divorced the wife. We don't really see a provision for the wife to do this. You know, I guess they didn't understand equal rights at that point. I don't know. But, um, but there's a real strong warning to the husband there in Malachi 2. And what does he say? Right. Don't deal treacherously with her. And how many times does he say that? Three times. Don't deal treacherously. Don't deal treacherously. Don't deal treacherously. It's a threefold emphasis, which is a supreme emphasis in terms of Scripture. When it says something three times, like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, I mean, it's, a, it's the maximum emphasis in the, in the Scriptures. So it's a, it's a major warning here not to deal treacherously uh, with the wife, uh, uh, your wife by covenant. The idea of treacherously is to be uh, unfaithfully harmful, uh, hurtful in a, in, a, in a harmful way, unfaithful in a harmful way. Don't deal treacherously. So strong warning given to the, the, the man there as far as uh, dealing with his wife by covenant. Okay, any other thoughts? All right. Uh, what principle applies to marriage in 2 Corinthians 6.14? Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, of course, he really in context is talking about uh, spiritual uh, leaders. Don't be in, in, uh, yoked up with false teachers and that kind of thing and, and, and false worship. But certainly there's application here as far as marriage. I mean, you don't have any more intimate relationship with somebody than you do marriage as far as being yoked up to, with someone. And, of course, we see in the Old Testament you couldn't yoke up different types of animals. You couldn't have an ox and a donkey. I mean, be different gait, different temperament. Uh, it would just be all out of whack. You, wouldn't be, you would not be really working together. And that's the idea of being yoked. Uh, be yoked with, with a believer, fellow believer. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be in constant tension. And let's say you have a believer and an unbeliever. What, what's the pressure point there? Well, something's got to probably give if we're going to really get along in a halfway decent way here. Where's the pressure going to be to give? Probably, probably going to be a lot on the Christian to compromise some things here, to get along here. Tremendous pressure. So do not be unequally yoked together. Uh, don't spiritually compromise in that way. 
Okay, uh, let's continue. What commandment is given to married believers in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11? In context, he's talking to married believers now. And what does he say? Right, and he says the, the parallel thing about the husband too. So it goes both ways here. But uh, yeah, uh, they're not to divorce. And if they do, for some reason, let's say for whatever reason, there's tensions and they go their separate ways, what does he say? You can either stay single or, or be reconciled. Right. He doesn't really give a third option here as far as believers. Uh, he says you either remain single or be reconciled. Well, boy, that's a pretty strong uh, statement there as far as uh, to, to two believers. Uh, now he'll address uh, the issue of uh, what, if, what if you happen to find yourself married to an unbeliever? Well, we'll address that in a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> okay, next question. What exception did Jesus make for divorce in Matthew 19.9? Sexual immorality, right. Um, now, we do hope if somebody's unfaithful in a marriage relationship that there will be repentance, there will be reconciliation. We still hope for that. But Jesus did make this exception. And there are certain situations where somebody just can't live with it for whatever reason, and they've tried to work with it or whatever, and, and, and it's over. And, and every conceivable situation comes up, believe me, as a pastor. So, uh, but there is that exception made by the Lord himself uh, in the case of sexual immorality, which just shows you how very serious it is that uh, even the Lord recognized an exception as far as the, the divorce rule in terms of uh, sexual immorality. Okay, any other thoughts there? Yes, Carissa? Yes, yes. Uh-huh, yeah. Sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your translation, Carissa? Probably unfaithful. But. It was the ESV. Yeah. I'll bet it's unfaithful. Not the translation, but the word. <laughs> oh, you got to love this sense of humor, don't you? Yeah. You're not finding it. Yeah, I, I think I've looked at different translations, and I think generally a lot of times uh, it is translated as, as unfaithful. But, but you're right. The reason I'm emphasizing this, in context, he is talking about, you know, she is your wife by covenant. And so that's why I'm really emphasizing the issue of divorce there. Because in that context, too, he says, the Lord hates divorce. She is your wife by covenant. So, so that's the context there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very good. Anything else? All right, let's press on. Page 132, top of the page. When God created male and female, what was the first instruction given to them in Genesis 128? Be fruitful and multiply. There you go. Um, fill the earth. Fill the earth. It's like God wants a bunch of people here. He, he wants the earth to be full of people. And uh, so it's interesting. 
You know, it's kind of interesting. Instead of having babies, people now think they, it's their body, they say, and they have the right to, to get rid of, you know, instead of having babies, you know, whatever. But uh, God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Um, okay, for what purpose did God choose Abraham in Genesis eighteen nineteen? What does he say there? Yeah, he says that Abraham would uh, would uh, keep the way of the Lord. He would command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord, which is interesting. I think uh, one of the ways that Abraham's personal relationship with the Lord was reflected in his life was by how he ordered his family. And, and God says there that, that he would uh, uh, command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. And, and I think that was precious precious in the sight of the Lord, uh, to the point where he would mention it in, in this way here in Genesis eighteen nineteen, um, Seems like that was an outstanding characteristic about Abraham, who is uh, kind of considered the champion of faith in the scriptures. Okay, um, any questions? All right, let's continue. Middle of the page. Leaders set the tone for God's people. What is required of both elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5 and verse 12? What must they do? Okay, very good. And so I want to zero in on that phrase, uh, rule their own household well. So they have, to, they have to be in control of what's going on in their household, right? Now, what does this mean? Does this mean thou shalt be a dictator? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. Well, what is the idea? Well, that's not bad. Is that the ESV too? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good. You know, tone has everything to do with this, I think. Uh, you can set a good tone where there, there has to be boundaries and there has to be discipline. If, if that's not in place, everything's out of control for sure. But at the same time, uh, the kids and the wife better know that you love them. I mean, there has to be that, has to be that reality in a big way. So, you know, you kind of, there's some, there's some fine balance here in some of these things here. I think a, a good leader is a balanced person. He's not just a pushover for everything. The kids walk all over him. The wife walks all over him. No, he's got to be strong. And yet he's got to be gentle. He's got to be loving. He's got to be caring. And, and he's he got to, I think, build a relationship with each one of those people in the family. Uh, you know, if I have one regret... I've got lots of them, actually. But I wish I would have took more time to take my girls out on dates and stuff like that. I did do some of that. I'm busy. I've always been busy. If there's one fault that you probably ask my kids and my wife, to, yep, Dwight was always busy. But I did take vacation. <laughs> I tried to justify myself. <laughs> yeah, we all, got, we all got faults, for sure. But I think a good leader is a, is a balance. And by the way, you're, you're never too old to, bring some, to affect some change in your life. Uh, you know, my, my kids still need me. Uh, at least three of them do. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They all need their dad. And they appreciate a call from dad, you know, and just to talk. Um, so that's what I'm saying. You're never too old to kind of work on whatever you, you can do. Uh, I actually try to spend less time in the office now than I used to. I don't know if I'm succeeding every day, but <laughs> I love going to my office. I love studying. I, I love what I'm doing. 
I mean, I live in the Word. It's wonderful. I, I, if I'm not there, you know, I'm just not on track like I want to be. But anyway, let's not talk about me anymore. Uh, leadership is, I think, a lot about influence. And if a man can't influence his family, doesn't mean everybody's going to go his way. You know, Jacob and Esau had the same parents, right? Cain and Abel had the same parents. I don't know why those guys didn't all go just the exact same way. You know what? You find out. Kids got their own minds, every one of them. And, and as they get older, they don't always think like mom and dad. They know better sometimes, sometimes. But anyway, uh, but uh, influence. Um, you know, we can't force it, but, but there, is a, there is an influence there. And I always said, you know, uh, even with our kids, and our kids went to all kinds of things. We did homeschooling. We did Christian schooling. We did public schooling. But I always felt like the, the major influence in their life should certainly always be the home. Uh, and that's, that has to be the case. Um, lots of things to consider about, about every dynamic out here. But anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, must rule their own household well. Uh, can't do that. Shouldn't be a leader in the church. Okay. Uh, any other questions? Or any questions, input? Yeah. Just one other comment. Yeah. Right. Part of it, but we always seem to pass over that we're not supposed to provoke our kids to anger. To wrath, yep. And that was one of the things that really is kind of, when we worked with high school kids, that was one of the things that really impacted us is how many parents really provoked their children to that point. Yeah. And th- then they rebelled. I mean, yeah. you, even when you don't do it, you don't have the guarantee that they're going to turn out right. 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 Well, that's a good point. There's a ba- there's balance in the text there, for sure. Yep, that's right. Amen. That's a good point. Okay, uh, let's continue here. The husband and wife relationship. In Genesis 3.16, after the fall, what did God reveal the consequences would be for the family? What do you say in Genesis 3.16 would be the consequences? Right, exactly. And it's kind of interesting. Desire, what, what do you suppose desire in that context means? Submit. I think sometimes it's Leadership. hard to submit. But you, uh, yeah. You kind of want to take your spot sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, you have in chapter 4, verse 7, where, where God says to Cain, sin, sin's desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. It's the same exact word. And, and the same construction in the Hebrew. So it, it seems like the desire is going to be for the woman to want to rule over the man. But God says, yet he will rule over you. He, he's going to be in the headship position as ordained by God. And yet there's going to be tensions uh, in, in that regard. And I, th- I think it goes back, uh, back to Genesis 3.16 as far as a lot of the, the tensions lots of times between the sexes, between the, uh, the, the husband and the, and the wife. And uh, it's good to realize that. The fall did really not change God's created order in terms of the headship of the man and and, uh, the role of the woman. But it did bring tensions. I think it brought tensions, extra tensions uh, to the equation. And we'll talk about this a little more as far as, well, what is the solution then? Okay, um, what specific mistake did Adam make in the fall according to God in Genesis 3.17? 
What mistake did he make? Yeah, why have you heeded your wife's voice? And he's probably thinking, yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting. What you got here is kind of a reversal of, of roles in the fall. I mean, she's kind of going ahead without her husband and, and, and going with this. And guess what? He's just following along. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You ate the fruit. Okay. I'll, I'll eat it too. Here. Yeah. He's listening. He's heeding the voice of his wife, really putting her before God in this situation. Uh, and so God called him out on the carpet for that. Why did you heed the voice of your wife instead of listening to me is really uh, the idea there. Okay, any other thoughts before we move on to the next page? Okay, next page, page 133. Why, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, should the woman be characterized by submission? Gives two reasons there. Yep, that's the reasons it gives. Uh, Adam was formed first. What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> Well, I know if I'd go that far, uh, uh, but it's true that God created Adam as kind of the, the, the head of the race in that sense, as far as, uh, you know, he, he is created in the headship position, and I think that's the order of creation. It's not culture. In both uh, 1 Timothy and also 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul goes back to the order of creation and makes an issue out of that, that... Uh, this is God's created order. Man is put in that, in that leadership role. And then he says, the woman was deceived, not the man. And there's an emphasis there. It's intensive that she was very deceived. Well, this is interesting because, again, I believe that God designed the woman to function under the umbrella, under the protection of the man. And when she moves outside of that umbrella, she's vulnerable. And that is proven in the ultimate case of Eve. She acted independent of her husband in that situation. And the roles were reversed. And what do we have? We have the fall. And the man, of course, caved to uh, heeding the woman's voice in that situation. But, uh, you know, Paul states this for a reason. It's so offensive to our society. But no matter how offensive, offended people might be by it, it doesn't change the truth of the Scriptures. That headship is male, and God ordained the, the man to be in the leadership role. And uh, when women say, well, we don't need any male leadership here. We're just going to do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Watch out. They're vulnerable. And that's the warning there. Uh, okay. Uh, what is the God-ordained headship order stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.3? There's three things he mentioned, right? Uh, the head of uh, every man is who? And who is the head of woman? Man. And uh, the head of Christ is? God. Interesting. There is structure of authority even in the Godhead. Now, uh, it's interesting. We know that uh, Christ and God the Father are equally God, right? Share the same nature. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-substantial. And yet there's structure there. Uh, It's kind of interesting, Uh, you know, when all is said and done, you know, we got that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
and uh, verse 28, which says, Now when all things are made subject to him, speaking of Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Isn't that kind of interesting? Everything's going to be put under Christ, but when everything's put under Christ, then he's going to put it all under God the Father. Uh, which, which is interesting. Um, there does seem to be structure, authoritative structure in the Godhead. Uh, yet they're, they're totally equal. And I think that speaks to the, the role of men and women as well. There's, there's total equality. And yet there is a structure where God has ordained that not everybody has the same exact role. We see that with God the Father sending the Son to die on the cross. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think they got together and had a discussion as far as, well, you know, who, who wants to volunteer for this role? <laughs> God the Father sent the Son, and of course the Son sends the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There is an authoritative structure and, and design there. And I think even the way God created human beings, that's reflected in, in what God has ordained. Equal value, but different roles. Okay, any other thoughts? Yeah. Well, the woman has to make a conscious choice to be submissive. Absolutely. Because our nature is to want to take over and to nag and mm-hmm. come right. and Peter, in her own way. And sure. So mm-hmm. we have to consciously say no. Yep. I have a role here. And I think when you do that, that is a very worshipful thing before God. And it's interesting, the husband is not to like force you to be in line. I mean, the instruction is to the wife to submit. It doesn't say, husbands, make your wife submit. No, he speaks directly to the wife to do this voluntarily, like you say. It's not a forced issue. It's not a dictator issue. And uh, when the Spirit's leading in both the husband and the wife's life, it's a beautiful thing there. I want to be what God wants me to be. Um, I, don't, I don't force my wife really to do anything. I might ask her. But, uh, you know, I'm not a tyrant here. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyway, I, again, let's continue with, on here. Uh, all right, instructions for the family in Ephesians 5 flow out of what foundational command in, in verse 18? I think this is key to the rest of what we find in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And what is the command there in uh, verse 18? Right. How about the part about not being drunk with wine? I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, he's making a contrast there. Don't be controlled by the wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, be filled with the Spirit. And so that, that is the key. I think everything flows out of that. Uh, be under the influence. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And, and then what does this look like? You, you go on down. Then he says, after that, he begins to talk about the relationships uh, in view here. The husband-wife relationship, uh, the children's relationship to the, the parents, the slaves' relationship to their, their owners, their masters. All of that, I think, flows out of verse 18 and uh, really shows us what the, the spirit-filled life, uh, spirit-controlled life looks like. And with that in mind, how and why is the wife to submit to her husband is found in Ephesians five twenty-two through 24. Yep. There you go. Exactly. Uh, as unto the Lord, boy, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? 
as unto the Lord. And, and again, the reason is because he is the head of the wife. He has a headship responsibility. He has a headship role. Now, again, um, the wife is told to do this. He can't walk storming into the room and say, hey, you know what? I'm the head. <laughs> Might find out he's the tail. No. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the wife is, is told to do this, really commanded to do this, to submit to her husband. Uh, and again, it's a voluntary uh, submission. Uh, she should want to do this. And I think if she's filled with the Spirit, she will want to do this. Well, what if she doesn't want to do this? <laughs> I don't know that I can improve on that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's about right. Pray about this situation. Uh, and you know, if she really does have the Holy Spirit, and she really is a believer, I think the Spirit is going to deal with her. Um, that, that's, that's for sure. Um, by the way, when it says that she should uh, submit to her husband, it's a different word than is used in reference to the children when it says children obey. Uh, this is a different word uh, than the word obey. It's used in reference to children in chapter 6, verse 1, and also verse 5. Um, and I think that's important. You know, as uh, a couple, the Bible says we're heirs together of the grace of life. Uh, we're really kind of working this together uh, in, in harmony is, is the idea. And so uh, with a, a couple, there certainly is to be a dignity and respect as, as we work it through. And, and we'll see this. Okay, uh, following the flow of thought here, uh, how is the husband commanded to love his wife in Ephesians 5.25? Like Just as Christ loved the church. Uh, That's absolutely true, for sure, absolutely. And uh, who has the taller order here? Submitting to the husband as unto the Lord or loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, you could probably have a real debate here. (laughs) Yeah, maybe depends on whose shoes you're in, right? But, I mean, both are tall orders. But boy, to me, to to love my wife as Christ loved the church... That Harold Berry, who married us on on our wedding day, he really hammered that point. It echoed in my ears for a long time and still does when I think about it. Uh, Boy, am I doing this? Ah, Boy, as Christ loved the church, what a tall order is that? Really an impossible order. Apart from what? Verse 18, right? Be filled with the Spirit. If the Spirit's filling me, I'm loving my wife as I should. Fruit of the Spirit is love. But if my flesh gets in there, it's like, yeah, we got a little problem. So, uh, yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. Just a quick note. I think, that I, would, I think that you can have one without the other. I mean, it's not balanced. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying that that's the proper thing. But right. And that's an excellent... That goes both ways also. For sure. I mean, First Peter addresses that, right? He says to the wives, Hus- uh, even if the husband does not obey the word, here's how you should respond. Uh, so, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't give you an excuse like, well, you're not being loving enough, so I'm not going to be submitting. 
Uh, you're not submitting, so I'm not going to be loving. I, well, yeah, this, this devolves into a flesh battle pretty quick. Yeah, so ultimately, I think the issue is, how am I doing with God here? In my, in my role here that, that God has called me to do. You know, that's what I need to be concerned about, number one here. And so, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Right. That's true. For sure. Every day. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about this just for a minute more here, since that's all we have here. But um, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How does, what does that mean as far as practical reality, as far as husbands loving their wives in that way? He loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, what did he do? Well, we know what he did, right? I mean, he died on the cross. What was that? Well, that was the ultimate act of sacrificial giving, right? Uh, ultimate act of thinking about others and their good. And, uh, you know, that works its way out in your life in, in a thousand different ways as a husband. But certainly, I think it, it thinks in terms of not... Me first, but her first, uh, and sacrificially so. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificially giving myself for her best, day in and day out, for her good, and, and puts her first. Okay, uh, let's go to the next, uh, the next page here, page 134. Okay, I might have to move just a little faster. All right. Uh, what describes holy women of God in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6? <clears throat> you know that I love that phrase I love that phrase you know I grew up in the days years ago um, <clears throat> there was a woman by the name of Helen Reddy she sang a song that's what that's what the song said yeah I am woman hear me roar well, you want, want to compare that with what the Bible says when it talks about a gentle and quiet spirit. And what, is, what does it say about that gentle and quiet spirit? Yeah, but he goes on to say, it's... Ah, there you go. And my King James says, very precious in the sight of God. Um, I don't know where that leaves the roars. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the holy women had this gentle and quiet spirit, uh, respecting the role of their husband. As he goes on to talk about Abraham, you know, Sarah's calling him Lord for crying out loud. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Small L, of course. <laughs> but she's recognizing his authoritative role in her life and submitting to it. Uh, and and in, it's interesting, he's talking about this gentle and quiet spirit, even in the context of even if the husband doesn't obey the word. Uh, that's, a, that's really powerful. You can break really strong things with, with gentleness. <laughs> There's something about a guy's ego that when someone is, a, a woman is gentle in that respect, it, it's really powerful. And that's what Peter is saying to the wife in that context. And it's very precious in the sight of God. Okay, uh, how is the husband to treat his wife according to 1 Peter 3, 7? Yes. 
Right, exactly. Uh, in an understanding way. You know, guys, we need to be students, good students of our wives. What makes them tick? And uh, dwell with them in an understanding way. And I must admit, there's been a time or two when my wife has said to me, you're not being understanding right now. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> okay, let me back up on that. Um, understanding, be considerate of where they're coming from. And again, I, you know, we talk about you know, make a conscious choice. I think as guys, we just realize, you know what? We're different. Male and female are different. And we just got to back up and try to uh, be understanding a little bit here as far as wh- where, they're, where they're coming from. And uh, treat them with honor uh, in an honorable manner. You know, we often say treat them like the fine china. You know, us old guys, we're like kind of the, the pots and pans, you know, knock them around. But, huh? Yeah, everyday dishes. Uh, but the, the wives are like the fine china. And we want to treat them that way uh, with honor and understanding. And uh, so in a sense, you know, we talk about the wife submitting. I think there's a submission uh, on the part of the husband, too, to the Lord in terms of how we treat our wives, for sure. Okay, now what ex- exhortation does Paul give to husbands in Colossians 3.19? What does he say there? Right. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, love your wife. Not plural. You're only supposed to have one. Love your wife. <laughs> And don't be bitter towards her. What is the idea of being bitter? You know what it is? It's the opposite of sweet. Don't be bitter towards her. Be sweet. You know, she ought to be able to look at you every day and say, sweetie, because you're being sweet. Uh, You know, you're called to be a sweetie towards your wife. You really are. Uh, not to be a sour, dour, bitter spirit, you know. And it's interesting to me here that Paul here in this context kind of makes this blanket statement in regards to husbands. Husbands, love your wife and do not be bitter towards her. Why do you suppose he just kind of singles out that makes this blanket statement in regards to husbands? You think the, husband, the husbands kind of tend to go in a certain direction where they kind of maybe are not always gracious, <laughs> not always as sweet as they should be. Uh, things kind of frustrate them. The, the wife's got her emotional ways or whatever, and, and uh, you know, get, develop an attitude. So don't do that. Okay, uh, while there are differing roles, how is the reality of equal value brought out in Galatians 3.28? All one in Christ. Uh, in what sense are we one? We all have the same roles? What? Equal salvation. Heirs. Spiritually, we're equals. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same hope. Uh, all of these things. Uh, the same destiny as, as believers. Uh, so we are spiritual equals. Doesn't mean we functionally do the same things. We, we have different roles according to what God has ordained, but we are one in Christ Jesus. And that is so important. You say, well, men are a little more important because they got the headship role. What do we want to say to that? <clears throat> False doctrine. Get out the stones. No, that's the Old Testament. <laughs> that's totally wrong. You know, 
It's not like God the Father is like say, well, he's much more important than God the Son. No, he's not. They're equals. In the same way, in uh, the roles of men and women, we do have different roles, but there's an equality. There's a oneness in Christ. Nobody's more important here. Might think you are, but you'd be wrong. Uh, One in Christ. I think before God, you know, the issue on Judgment Day will be, how well did I run my race in terms of the role that God has given to me? Uh, That becomes the issue. Um, not putting myself up somehow. Okay, uh, what emphasis does Paul bring, a, bring out about the role of women in marriage in 1 Timothy 5.14? He emphasizes their role in relationship to what? The home. Uh, and, and specifically what? He mentions the home, managing the home, also bearing children. Right? Bearing children. So kind of God-ordained priorities. I think as you study the scriptures, in terms of what God has ordained, the woman's priority kind of centers around her husband, her children, and her home. Uh, those, that is the God-ordained emphasis of, of, of scripture. And we see that. Next page. Page 135. <clears throat> what is the emphasis in older women teaching young, younger women in Titus 2, 4, and 5? What are they teaching them? Algebra? (laughs) Not a bad idea if you need algebra for some reason. But what's the emphasis here? What? For some reason you might need algebra. Well, you might, especially if you're homeschooling. Right. But what is the emphasis here in the text? Yeah. Love your, teach them how to love their husband and children. You think they need any guidance there? Young women need some guidance in terms of how to love your husband? Yeah, I know he's a rascal, but here's how you need to love him. Uh, how to be discreet and chaste. Boy, think about that. You say, boy, sometimes you think, well, they ought to just have some common sense. You know, you've got to dress that short. You shouldn't even have to tell the, the, the young 16-year-old about it. Well, You do. Uh, believe me, I, I've been through this a time or two. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's much better if uh, the women are doing that kind of teaching. Uh, homemakers, teach them to be homemakers. Uh, you know, there, there needs to be an emphasis there. Um, what is good, beneficial, obedient to the husband. Those are the things that are mentioned. All of these things really relate to uh, really... Um, Character issues related to their role related to the home and the family. Very practical emphasis is what I really want to say there in terms of Titus. Uh, very practical emphasis. Uh, what are some of the traits of the Proverbs 31 woman mentioned in Proverbs 31? Uh, we can mention many things. Uh, what are just a few? She works with willing hands. Yeah, she's a hard worker. Yeah, praise the Lord for hard workers. You know, and here's a situation where, uh, and not everything's happening just under the, the roof of the house either. She's going out selling a field and doing all kinds of uh, industrious things. But you know what? Why, why is she doing it? I think that's the main thing. Why is she doing this? Right. I was ready to make a funny remark. Like, you, you mean she's not here just trying to advance her own career and just forget about everything else? No, she's doing it for the sake of her family, isn't she? Everything she's doing is really for the sake of her family. 
And, and that's the motivation that she has here. So I don't want to be too legalistic in terms of, well, she's a homemaker. What does that mean in the spirit of things? I think everything this woman is doing is really for the good of the family here. And uh, that's what I see with this Proverbs 31 woman. And then it ends up with, uh, she fears the Lord. Uh, she fears the Lord. I think everything that, that she's doing in relationship to her family is kind of a reflection on her attitude towards God. This flows out of her uh, commitment and her reverence for God. Okay, I'm bringing up children in the way of the Lord. What is to characterize parents in teaching their children in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7? Right, right, that's right, diligently. Uh, I mean, when you get up and through the day, when you lie down, uh, all through the day. But what I really want to emphasize with you is not so much verse, verse 7, which is teaching them, diligently teaching them. What's it flow out of? Well, you find, first of all, he says in verse 5, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With all your soul, with all your strength. And out of that, when you have that kind of love for God, the overflow of that is in your life as you build into your kids. So that, I think, is the emphasis. Who does Proverbs, uh, the book of wisdom, specifically target in Proverbs 1.4? The old person? Young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the naive. The young person, which is true. Uh, the young person. They need guidance. Uh, you want a manual on uh, rearing children? Proverbs is a pretty good one. I don't think you'll find a better one than the book of Proverbs. A lot of wise wisdom there. What instruction is given to children in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? First commandment with promise, Right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. Right, so you may live long on the earth. I always used to emphasize that part with my kids. <laughs> we laughed about it a little bit, but you know there was an emphasis under the law there in terms of uh, obey your parents, that you may live long on the earth. I mean, you're messing with death here. But obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey means to, to literally means to hear under. Uh, the idea of a submissive, teachable spirit. Uh, to hear under. To, to, okay, I'm listening. Uh, family division. Uh, top of page 136. In Matthew 10, 34 through 37, what did Christ say would happen in families over the issue of him? They would be divided. Right, exactly. They would be divided. So you say, well, boy, if I'm just doing everything the way I ought to do it, everybody's just going to be on board. We'll all be Christians. Mm. Christ said, think not that I am come to bring peace, but a sword. And children will be divided against parents and so forth. So there is going, everybody has to make their own decision. You know, one thing I could not force my kids to be is Christians. I could probably force them to pray, especially when they were younger. <laughs> but you can't, you can't, only God can really change the heart there. Okay, what should the attitude of the believer be in, in context of a divided home as seen in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16? Now he's addressing uh, a couple who is not equally yoked in the sense for whatever, however they got there, you got a believer and an unbeliever. And what should, what should happen? What should the spirit of things be in that situation? That's right. Uh, seek to make it work if, if possible. But what if 
it isn't possible. What if the unbeliever says, eh, I'm calling it quits. Get out of here. I'm done with this. What do you do then? Yeah. Uh, you just peaceably go on with your life. You're not under bondage in such a case. You're free, as, as Paul says. So the unbeliever kind of decides how they're going to chart the, the course there, whether they're willing to live with the, the believer in a peaceable manner. And if they're not, well, <clears throat> then the believer is free. And I take it free to remarry. Uh, what is the fruit of the last day's revival in Malachi 4, 5, and 6? Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Last verse in the New Testament. I really think this is describing revival ultimately. And it, and it, begins, it begins in the home. And then finally, what family promise does Christ make in Mark uh, 10, 29 through 30 concerning those who follow him? That's right. A, a spiritual family. Is it about the same size? Much bigger family, even. That's right. So, uh, and you know, we know people uh, where pretty much uh, their earthly families kind of walked away from them because of their faith. But there is the family of God, and that's, and that's where that comes in. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, did anybody memorize uh, Ephesians 5.32.33? This is a great mystery, whether anybody's memorized it. No. Okay, very good. All right. Okay, well, next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll do pride and humility. Pride and humility. And so uh, appreciate you being here tonight. Let's uh, have a closing word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your, your ways, your plan. And thank you for family. Lord, each one of us in some context has been born into a, uh, a particular context, every one of us. And uh, Lord, you're sovereign o- over all of these things. And uh, Lord, uh, we can't help many things about our, our past, whatever it might be. But Lord, as believers uh, who have the Holy Spirit, we, we can lead a spirit-filled life in, in terms of where we're at, the attitude we have towards uh, our present family, uh, our family dynamics, and how we carry on day in and day out. We know the devil is trying his best to destroy every semblance of the family that he can. Uh, it is the, the key cornerstone as far as the uh, human society. And so, Lord, help us as your people to uh, build our, our lives, uh, our families, on uh, the bedrock truth of the scriptures, the principles that we find here. You have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So, Lord, again, we thank you for uh, the instruction here from the word tonight and help us to grow stronger through it. Continue to use us for your glory. Give us a fruitful week now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. Good to have you all out tonight.